Welcome to Combinations, the podcast from North Staffordshire Combined Healthcare NHS Trust. This latest edition is being broadcast on the last day of Pride 2020. The story you're about to hear is Jenny's story. Jenny is chair of our staff side, has worked in the NHS for most of her working life and also attends the board to represent staff side. She also happens to be trans. Jenny talks of her childhood growing up knowing she was different from what society expected of her, of her teenage years and university, of coming to work in the NHS and coming out as a trans woman. She talks about some of the prejudice and attacks she's experienced as a result of being visible and coming out, but also she talks about hopes for the future and in particular for where she hopes Pride will be in 10 years time, where it's able both to celebrate people for who they are, while not forgetting its roots as a movement of protest. My name's Jenny Harvey. Um, I've worked for the Trust for 30 years. I'm currently uh, the chair of the Staff Side Trade Unions. My union is Unison. But for today, most importantly, I'm talking to you as a trans woman. One of the questions most trans men, trans women are asked is, when did you first realise you were a girl? And um, it's really hard to remember an exact time. Um, I think in my mind it was about nine or ten, around about that time. I started to think, well, I don't fit in with what everybody's expecting of me. That doesn't feel right. Um, but I didn't have the words or the vocabulary to really understand it. Um, so I, I just felt I was somehow just just weird as a kid. Um, one summer's day when somehow I'd been left in the house on my own. And uh, um, I found myself just thinking about why is it I feel like a girl, yet nobody sees me as a girl. That can't be right. I remember on that day finding myself looking in my mum's wardrobe and thinking, why does it feel that it would be better for me to be wearing girls' clothes? Um, and, um, and I remember I um, remember trying some of my mum's clothes on and just weirdly just feeling right. Though they were clothes that were way too old for me, I was sort of 10 or 11 at the time. Um, and this was back in there. Uh, Back in the late seventies, so uh, my mum's dresses were the sort of stuff that uh, um, Margaret would wear in *The Good Life*, if you remember that sort of stuff. So, not exactly for a ten-year-old, but I do remember that first first pivotal point of, of, of expressing to myself what I knew my gender was. But looking in the mirror and somehow thinking that's right for me, but then immediately thinking. Well, that must be wrong because that's not how I should be. That's not how everybody is telling me to be. I mean, back in them days, there was there was no real talk. Transgender wasn't even a word or a term that we understood. In fact, at school, I remember, you know, I don't even think um, anybody would talk about people being uh, lesbian or gay. It was this was this was the late seventies. So I just sort of internalise that and squash those feelings up. Um, and that's tough. A younger people, people the age that I was when I realised, are able to have some more understanding because they've got the language, they've got the vocabulary and it is talked about in schools. So instead of feeling frightened and alone, uh, like I, I was, um, 
you know, they're able to to maybe express themselves, even though that's really can be really, really difficult. And and to be honest, from that moment on, every single day was filled with those thoughts. Every waking minute was filled with the thoughts that the world isn't seeing me how I am, and how do I fit in the world if 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 that's if that's how I feel? Is there something wrong with me? And coupled with that, with the shame, just the shame of of thinking that if anybody knew my secret that was in my my head. That was utterly shameful. And um, so I grew up with those feelings of awkwardness and weirdness and that constant cycle of, of shame. And, you know, I don't think that's that's my this is, of course, my story and not every trans person's story. But I, I imagine certainly many trans people of my age and generation may well relate to that. You know, in many ways, I had a, a, a I have to say, I had, you know, a privileged upbringing in that to a nice school and, you know, we, um, you know, I had good parents and so forth. But I can't get away from the fact that every every single waking day of that that childhood is was was filled with these um, these thoughts of uh, isolation, loneliness, and weirdness. See, I went to university in Liverpool. And I'd hoped that somehow, you know, the distractions of university or just getting on with life would uh, would suppress those those feelings of um, uh, those isolated feelings, those feelings. But it didn't. Um, so, you know, although I tried my best at university, um, I struggled to to cope to fit in. Um, not to say I didn't enjoy many aspects of it. Um, you know, it's, it's freedom away from home and freedom behind closed doors to express yourself. And I did that. I was able to to dress as me um, within my own room in the in the student union digs, but I could never tell anybody else because um, even then, you know, we're, we're talking, um, sort of the end of the 80s, um, we're still in the period where we had a law called Section 28 where it sort of, it made it unlawful for people in schools and education to talk about People being gay and lesbian, let alone, was there any scope of of coming out as uh, as a girl coming out as trans? So I never thought it was possible, and I think I think I resigned myself that um, I've just got to try and get on with life. Got a job in the NHS, um, been here ever since. Absolutely love the NHS. Only meant to come here for only meant to come to the trust from a holiday from university. Only meant to stay um, two months and thirty years on. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't choose anything else. I, I did get to the point where I thought there's no way I could continue to live like this, to continue to to be living that lie to myself, to continue to live in uh, so unfulfilled, so unhappy. There was another really pivotal point in my journey, I think, because um, was when I in back it was back on this is back at Butnell Hospital. We managed to have our own offices as uh, as a trade union, so we had a little office set apart from anywhere else. Um, and I was often in there on my own after hours, but I managed to to uh, to get a wig delivered um, um, to work. I remember after hours in that office, um, putting on a wig and um, and making my face up and looking in a mirror. And I just sobbed. I just sobbed. It was the first time that I'd seen myself in any way that actually mirrored what I felt inside. 
It was extraordinary. I sobbed with joy, really. It was, it was, it was extraordinary that moment. And again, these pivotal moments. I, I often wonder if they hadn't happened like that, whether I'd be where I am, where I am now. From that moment on, I think there was inevitability about my transition because I looked in the mirror and thought, you know, I could do this. I could actually do this because up, up to that point, I'd never thought it was possible. I'd never thought it was possible that I could actually transition and live. I mean, I'm six foot two and uh, and not slightly built. You know, I'm I'm a big. Uh, I'm the side of a house in many ways. And I just thought, there's no way that I could live my life. I could transition and live my life. It just, it's just not possible. So I sort of had always tried to thought of resign myself to be realistic. But that moment when I looked in, in the mirror and saw myself as I, as I could be um, was just such a, a, a turning point. So from that moment on, um, I started to get more and more confident. I, I started to... Explore going out, you know, and, and this is a typical story. Um, you'll, you'll find for many people of my generation, you know, going out after dark to the 24-hour Tesco's and doing some shopping as a woman um, and just sort of stepping out into the public and getting a bit more braver and braver because you realise that people were fine and people generally either didn't notice or were didn't really care that much, which was, you know, fine by me. So I started getting braver and braver um, and braver. First um, real, I remember, do remember my first real uh, brave step out in daylight into the public. I decided to go shopping around um, Stafford just because I thought not many people will know me there necessarily. And I'm walking around and thinking, this is all right. I'm doing really well here. Look, I'm, I'm okay. People aren't, you know, generally staring at me. I'm, I'm doing. I'm living my life. This is going well. And I'm looking in the the I'm looking in the shop window, seeing my reflection, and seeing, well, you know, you, you look like a woman. You know, that you're doing, you know, okay, Jenny. At that moment, I, twi- I, I tripped. I remember this vividly. I tripped over, in front of everybody. You know, completely a over t. Um, my uh, my wig fell off. Um, my um, um, what I what I was using to help that I don't need now in terms of giving me a shape. My uh, my for want of a better word, my boots fell out and I was scrabbling on the floor, <laughs> grazed up, and looking up at people going, "Are you all right, Doc? Are you all right, Doc?" And I was absolutely mortified, you know, absolutely mortified. But then I thought. Well, I survived that, you know. It was a terribly embarrassing experience, but I survived that. I can survive pretty much anything, I think. So it was, again, an, an accident, but a sort of turning point in giving me confidence. The fact that I'd done, I'd found myself in such a, it's always humiliated to fall over in front of people, but when you crash down like I do, um, to find uh, that I could cope and I could live and, uh, you know, what's the worst could happen. So, again, that, that was a moment that just said to me, this is this is going to happen, this has got to happen. And from that point on, I, um, I knew that I was going to transition, that I was going to uh, live, be full-time as myself, as Jenny, which is what I needed to be. I really needed it. Eventually, I was living outside of work pretty much full-time as Jenny. But um, in work, I was still in my old my old identity, you know, and 
and nobody knew. I mean, I think if you if you'd lined up every person in the trust and said who 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 may be trans, I would probably been right down the bottom end, the last person you'd think of. Absolutely nobody would have known. So what I did is I, I got some photos I'd taken off a webcam of, of just how I looked when I was uh, when I was Jenny, and I started to share these with people. Um, you know, I'd, I'd show some friend, colleagues at work and friends and say, look, I need you to know this is how I am when I'm not at work. And uh, at some point, I think this is how I'll be at work. And the reaction was overwhelmingly supportive. They were massively surprised. Everybody was really surprised. But it was so, so supportive, people giving that positive feedback. It became a bit of a drug, if I remember, at the time. I was sort of getting that positive feedback that actually, you know, you're okay, you look okay, you know, you could do this. It was was great. And I, I must have shown that photo to more people than needed to, I think. And after and after a couple of weeks of that, um, I sort of came to the point. Well, I've told enough people. There really seems to be no unearthly reason why I don't transition. I think it's very different these days about transitioning. You know, I think uh, I think people are encouraged to have conversations with with HR and um, and think about how they're going to communicate to colleagues and things like that. Um, but this was um, this was two thousand and five, two thousand and six. So there wasn't quite the awareness of trans issues as there is now. So um, so what I did is I sort of, I just phoned, um, I remember phoning our director of HR at Button Hospital. I said, David, I said, on Monday, I'm going to be coming into work and I'm coming to work as Jenny, just so you know, so that when I turn up at meetings and he went, that's fine, you know, didn't I mean, know what else to say. So, the Monday, that, that that next Monday after the weekend, that was it. I got myself ready. Yeah, nervous as anything. This is going to be my first day out into the big wide world of work. And went to work. And from that day on, I've lived and worked and been Jenny absolutely every moment of my life. As the, as the lead for staff side, I had to give a presentation my first day to a bunch of tr- strangers. So... You know, I, I was I had to go into it, you know, full pelt. I didn't really I couldn't really be softly, softly about it. But maybe that was better for me. Just, the, you know, the Big Bang Theory. I just went for it. There's one person I hadn't managed to tell and I don't know why. Anyway, I remember him coming in into our office and this was on my first day. He came into the office and he just didn't recognise me because I got my wig on. I was made up and I, got me, you know, I was I was dressed very different, obviously. So he didn't recognise who I was, uh, and he was stood there having a conversation with somebody else. And I said, "Oh, hi, Ian. I'm really sorry. I meant to tell you, but..." And literally, the colour drained from his face, and he started to wobble a bit. I think it was such a shock to him, bless him. And so, from that day onwards, um, I've been Jenny at work, and uh, in many ways, I feel really blessed that my union and my NHS sort of have embraced that and have generally had nothing but support from from my employer i'm not saying there aren't times that it's been difficult uh, you know and that i've had comments and and people have misgendered me and sometimes still do get my gender wrong i mean it's they're only small words he and she and him and her but when you're a trans person and somebody refers to you in your in the wrong gender um, it hurts every time it does. It's like the world telling you 
just for a moment, you well, who do you think you're kidding? So I still struggle with that. I've never quite found a way to 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 properly rationalise it, but I, I cope because I know that in every single case that's happened, as far as I am concerned, the people haven't done it deliberately, and and it's very often people who care for me who work with me. So you know, I try and and try and I, I, I try and just work through that. The past few years have been have been difficult, I think, for trans people. There's been a huge um, rise in visibility, um, you know, huge, which is great that you are, there are now trans role models. If I'm growing up now, I can see trans people on the television and in news, and there are people that you can see and aspire to and look up to as role models. And I think that's amazing because I wish I just had that as when I was a kid. Um, so that's great. And there is education in school. Also, non-binary people coming to the fore and saying, this is my identity and we're, we're recognising them. But it has been difficult these last few years because with that rise in visibility, we've seen a rise in, in, in anti-trans views within the media and press and an obsession in some of the press. And that becomes difficult. And I know it's affected my mental health and I know I've got trans friends on Twitter and, and, and they will say how it's affected their mental health, this constant battle. It's um, been described in some areas as a culture war between people who uh, want to progress trans rights like myself and like I would hope most people in our trust and, and the people who don't think we should have those same rights, who don't maybe see me as a woman. And that's hard when you're hearing that. And there's been many a night where I've just um, been sobbing, reading what's going to be in the papers the next day or just seeing what somebody's put on Twitter. That's hard to hear because, you know, those words are going out to so many people. And we have seen so much negative stories in the press. It's just if I listed them, it'd be, we would be here for another hour. Um, you know, papers, not just tabloids, but papers like broadsheets have seemed to have a, uh, have a fixed on an agenda that seems to be in some way against progress in trans, trans rights. And that's what it's about. It's, it's against progressive reform that we need just to make trans people's lives a bit easier. Um, there seem to be people against that. I mean, it, this sort of backlash became evident to me um, maybe three or four years ago when um, I was lucky enough uh, to appear. I got onto the audience of BBC Question Time. It was being filmed from Stoke-on-Trent. And it was been done live, and it's it's never done live normally because I think there was a by-election, or there was a by-election. So I, I I do remember it being an audience thinking I could say whatever I want here and get it on the telly. But I thought it'd be good, um, and I did manage to catch David Dimbleby's eye, and it seemed to go well down in the audience. I got some applause, and I sort of felt good about myself for a moment or two. Yeah, and I thought, great, that's. That's another thing ticked off. And actually, I thought it's good for visibility. I, I, I do know when people see and hear me that they probably realise that I'm trans. And I thought, well, you know, if that just um, um, is a positive for trans visibility for just me to be in the audience just for that moment, then maybe that's a good thing. And I remember I remember straight after film and it was sort of midnight almost, I got back to the car. I remember this so vividly because it was raining. It was raining really hard and it was dark and I'm sat in the car and I thought, I'll check on Twitter what um, people thought of my comments about about 
the politics right and so i i, I scrolled back scrolled back i expected a bit of few people having to go at me because i was being political and and telling me i was wrong but what i wasn't prepared for was the overwhelming deluge of of transphobia that was linked around my part my contribution so all i saw was tweet after tweet screenshot after screenshot of me uh, with the words along the lines of what the f is that dehumanizing language it was uh, it was a deluge i mean it was just nobody was caring what i said at that moment or so it seemed they were just there to to make comments make negative comments about me about my appearance or everything else but really about me being a trans woman in for in honesty it was so bad that um actually the bbc rang me the next day worried about my welfare because i'd obviously been looking at the um looking at the hashtag and um and um an online lgbt news site pink news the biggest lgbt news site in the country ran an article that night about me they didn't contact me but they ran an article about the abuse i'd received and it's still up there on the internet today these things last forever i guess so if um if um and it'd be painful to look at it again but that was awful and i must admit um that nearly broke me i mean and this is 10 years after my transition and you know somebody in a role that's living day in day out that nothing i hadn't done really as a as a, as a woman i mean i've started i've stood up in front of 2000 people at unison conferences and given speeches and there's you know there's there's nothing that i haven't been able to do really as a trans woman but for that moment it nearly broke me it was like um the moment that i put my head up into wider society that somehow um the world had passed judgment now i know that wasn't the, how everybody felt and i know in the main these were just bigoted people trolling or just you know just picking on people for cheap laughs just as people sadly do for anybody that's got a difference anybody of difference but it did i mean that moment was 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 a um was, was such a traumatic experience i mean i'm you know i'm i i'd be loath to call it but i'm having a post-traumatic syndrome of, over this but I still think about it. I still, to, which is something I shouldn't do, carry around pictures of all those tweets I, I saved. I still catch them like somehow I can't let them go. So I, then that's something I've got to work through. But I think that just showed, shows what an impact that um, that had on me. And, you know, and, and part of me um, was to protect myself about getting complacent again about my place in the world, which is, which is a real shame because the truth of the matter is in my everyday life and everybody I meet, I'm never, uh, I'm not treated with anything but respect for, for being a woman or for being trans. I genuinely am not. I can't think of him on my streets and in Stoke. I, they've been completely welcoming to me. So the world can be a, a welcoming place for trans people, but it just seems that sometimes if you try and just take that one step too far and that some people want to, to put you into your place, I think. And one of the really things that I've been doing, I guess, partly I think in, in, in a more selfish way is to help my own mental health, but actually to push back against this negativity is is to be getting more active on, on, on trans issues. So um, I'm currently um, delivering training to uh, the trust and and wider 
um, to on some trans awareness because I think it is a a subject that many many people, certain clinicians, sometimes feel ill-equipped to to talk about. I think just because of the language, because if you're not lived experience and you're not having that information, it can be difficult. So, um, you know, the trust has, uh, I'm thankful the trust has allowed me to to start delivering some of this training, which the feedback has been has been pretty good. So I'm hoping to do more and more of that because. It's for, for me, it's got two bonuses. One, it helps me feel like I'm doing something positive, but also it, I think it helps actually helps educate us all. So when we're taught, when we're supporting our service users and patients and our colleagues, if we have trans colleagues, we're better able to understand uh, trans inclusion. It's all part of that inclusion agenda. Um, we talk a lot about um, in, for LGBT people, but I say for our BAME members of having allies to in, in inclusion matters, and that is people who don't identify actually being supportive and helping helping to to make the world better. Because we need allies as trans people, because there aren't that many of us. You know, we're something like 0.6 to one percent of the population, and we're dispersed. So we do need people to to engage in the subject to. To understand better, to take a bit of time to understand better, and to help advocate for us when we need it, because it is very difficult for our voice to be heard sometimes. When you know we can talk to our colleagues, but the press is the the, the press is constantly giving out these stories to hundreds of thousands of people. Somebody was asking me um, about pride the other day um, and what pride is, and and what and I was thinking about what pride might be in the future. I. I I think pride is really important for all the LGBT people. And actually, pride was born out of protest. And we must not forget that part of pride is protesting for rights, about improving our rights. But I'd like to see, um, if, if I look sort of 10 years hence, what, what pride could be. I don't think pride should forget its roots in protest. But the pride should be about being proud to be who we are. Um, and that we are able to live our lives. So it would be great if Pride in the future was, a, was as it is now, a celebration of LGBT identities. It is about a time to reflect on, on the history for LGBT people. But it is a, we haven't got that. Uh, we haven't got a situation where we're having LGBT people um, suffering inequalities as, as we currently still do. Yeah, so I hope um, Pride in the Future keeps that positive celebration aspect and allows us to reflect on where we've come so we don't we don't forget about the fight that um, in history that some people had to make for LGBT equality. I must admit, I was really flattered to be asked to do this podcast because I've been a big fan of podcasts. I think podcasts are important. They are part of social media. But they're also a chance to listen to other people's lives and other people's experiences. So, I I, I don't know um, I don't know if, how many people will listen to this, but maybe there's somebody else out there that's a trans person that's struggling to come to terms with their gen- gender identity or scared of um, transitioning or or coming out. And and, and maybe um, if anything, for my story is um, you know it is it is okay. You can live your life. I, you know, I have to say to people, if I can, if I can transition, then anybody can transition. You know, and that's not to say it might be difficult. That you know, there's a, we risk a lot when we transition. 
you know we can risk our family and our friends and our jobs but um if that's what you need to do you can do that and uh, and you can find a community through social media online if you're feeling isolated so that was just um why i was so pleased to do this podcast mm-hmm.